I was just standing over there listening to you sing that song and just uh, send chills up my spine, the, the sound of worship. The ability to worship Him today. And that's why we're here. We're here to lift His name on high, to acknowledge that He is who He says He is. And, and how can we worship Him today? By holding to the truth. By acknowledging there is a truth. And by lifting that truth, that name, this person high. He told us if we would lift Him up, He would draw everyone to Himself. So today we lift up the name of Jesus by lifting up the Word of God. If you were here last week, I kind of got halfway through the story of the Apostle Paul. He's in Ephesus. He's called the elders out onto the beach. And he's just got a little bit of time before sailing, and he gives them this instruction. And it's a powerful event because he knows he's never going to see them again. He knows the Holy Spirit's told him he's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to go to suffering, and prison lies ahead of him. And these people who he's grown to love, it's his last encounter with them. So we pick up today in Acts chapter 20, verse 25, and just this kind of connect the dots from last week to this. Verse 25, and now I know, Paul's looking at these elders. He's on the shore, the boat's getting ready to leave, he's heading for Jerusalem. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. Can you hear the urgency in his voice? Because I do. I listen to these words and I see he's poured his life into these people. Because he understands this is about life and death. This is not a casual friendship. This is a life and death event. Paul told them that his life, he considered his life would be absolute meaningless if he did not complete the assignment of communicating the gospel of Christ. That's how important he thought this message was. And then Paul gives some practical and prophetic advice to the church at Ephesus. And I want you to notice the two words that I chose carefully. Practical and prophetic. Practical means it's got application in the right now. Prophetic, what he's about to tell them has effect upon every church in the future from that time. I find incredible power and counsel in these words of Paul. He's talking to the church leaders of Ephesus. Here we go. Verse 28. So guard yourselves. He's getting ready to leave. What's he just said? I never held back telling you the truth. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. Now, I want to tell you, when I read that verse 28, I immediately came up with five whys, five five questions, because I want to I look inside this verse. 
The first why is guard yourselves, elder. Guard yourselves, elders, at the church at Ephesus. Why? Why do they need to do that? What's he know? What does he know that they need to know that you and I need to know today? First, elders, leaders of the church, guard yourselves. Second, why? Guard God's people in the church under your care. Why? What's he know? What's, what's he know that now, in his parting words, guard yourselves and guard the people in the church? You're going to set up a sentry? You're going to have guard duty? What do you mean guard yourselves? Guard them. Why? Number three, feed the flock. Why? Feed them what? Why? Why is he bringing this up? Because... He's going to get on the boat and leave. And he knows in the future he's going to Jerusalem and he'll never see him again. These are important words. Guard yourselves, guard the flock, feed the flock. And number four, shepherd God's church. His church. Why? Watch out for the sheep. Watch out for these sheep, you shepherds. Watch out for the sheep. Why? What does he know? This is what I'm trying to get to. What does he know that they need to know that they don't know that we need to know right now? Do you know how, before I get to the fifth one, do you know, he calls it his church. Guard the flock that belongs to God, his church. You know how much it costs God to purchase his church? The blood of his son. So in this room today, if you are part of the church that belongs to God through Jesus Christ, the purchase amount of getting you the church was the value of his own son. That's expensive. And number five, the fifth why. Accept your Holy Spirit assignment. He's looking at the elders, the church leaders. Accept your Holy Spirit assignment, your mission as elders, this is serious business. Why? why? Why so serious? Why not just give each other a high five and leave? This is serious stuff. The answer to those five whys is the next verse. And I told you, he's, he's, he's laying this thing out, and the answer to the five whys is the next verse. It's practical, which means it has application in the moment, and it is prophetic. It affects every one of us in this room right now today. Here we go, next verse, verse 29. Paul says, because I know something. Maybe you all don't know it, but I know something. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave. He knows. He knows. After I leave, the wolves are coming among you. Not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group that's, that's inside the church. What does he know? Even some men from inside your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following, a different following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you? My constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you? Wolves. 
What's he know? What does Paul know? I said it's practical and it's prophetic. Wolves. Watch out for the wolves. They're coming. Do you scoff at that today? Now, I told you it has practical application, which means it was really relevant for them standing on the beach in the church in Ephesus in the first century. But do you scoff at that today, church in modern-day America, that the wolves are coming? Why? Well, also, it almost sounds dramatic, you know, that he says there's wolves coming. Why the language? False teachers Paul says, false teachers will follow me into the churches. So he says, it's not going to happen until I leave. But after I leave, it'll create a vacuum, and the vacuum will be filled by wolves. They'll they'll come in when I'm gone. Now, I want you to pay attention closely to that point. You see, Paul was leaving, and he says, when I leave, the false teachers, the wolves are going to come, some from inside the church, some from outside the church, but they'll come when I leave. Paul's teachings are still here. And you got a copy of it. So understand something, that Paul was leaving and the wolves would come, but Paul had documented his teachings. And all these years later, Paul's teachings, which I'm reading from, most of the New Testament is Paul's writings, his teaching. And you've got a copy of them. So in some respects today, Paul hasn't left. We've still got the message of Paul, and you've got it in English. So his teachings, you don't want them to leave. Because if his teachings leave, something will fill the void. Wolves and false teachers will fill the void. Jesus' teachings are still here today. Jesus went to be at the right hand of the Father. The Apostle Paul, he died a martyr's death in a Roman prison. But his teachings are still here today. Do you believe that? Because it's kind of foundational today. Do you believe that, that the writings that we're going through the book of Acts, it's Luke telling the story of Paul, and then you've got Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Thessalonians. And all these are the writings of the Apostle Paul, a man who encountered Jesus, was called by Jesus to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And you get a copy. You don't have to guess. You see, Paul warned the church that the wolves are coming. And Jesus, listen, warned the church that the wolves are coming. In Matthew 7, 15, these are the words of Jesus. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. False prophets, they're like wolves. Why does he use the illustration of wolves? Because wolves have a taste for sheep. They taste good. And a sheep has no power in the jaws of a wolf. And the wolves are coming. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says, who come disguised as harmless sheep, but they're really vicious wolves. You can identify them. Now, this is really important because these wolves that are coming into the church, they don't look like wolves. They look like harmless sheep. They look like one of us. And in many ways, they talk like us. 
And they act like us in many ways. But Jesus is going to give you a hint. There's a way to identify the wolf, even if he looks like a sheep, even if he's in disguise. How? Verse 16. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. You see, a wolf and a sheep are going to act different because they're going to live different lives because their lives are based on a different standard of truth. In fact, a wolf doesn't have any truth. He can make his own truth up. But a sheep, a lamb under the great shepherd has a standard of truth in which he lives by. You can know them by the way they act. And then Jesus asks, asks a question. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. Why does he ask a crazy question? Because you can tell by the fruit. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. Can you pick figs from thistles? No. Verse 17, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Verse 18, I love the simplicity of this statement by Jesus. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. So how can you tell a wolf when he looks like a sheep? Look at the fruit. Look at their life. Well, isn't that judging? Well, you might ought to judge the wolf. It might be really important to know if he's a wolf or a sheep. He tells you to watch out, stay on guard. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. These false teachers will not spare the flock any more than a wolf will spare a lamb. And they will come, Paul said, Jesus said, they will come from within the church. That's why they look like sheep. That's why this picture is so relevant. Because at a distance, they still look like sheep. But they're not. They're wolves. They will come from within the church, and yes, they will also come from outside the church. And what do they do when they come? This is really important. What do they do when they come? They distort the truth in order to draw people out from the safety of Christ's true church, his true teaching. They distort the truth. So what is the truth? Paul says, when I leave, they'll come. Well, when Paul left, unless they had remembered his teachings, his teachings would have left with him. But his teachings remained. And to hold to the teaching would be the best way to wolf-proof your house. And by the way, you've got the teachings of Paul. You've got the teachings of Jesus. And it, it's hard to distort the truth when you already know the truth. Those teachings were delivered through the Apostle Paul for all of mankind. It was God's way of revealing himself to the world. And you've got a copy. Watch out. The warning of Paul, the warning of Jesus is the same warning. Watch out. Be on your guard. Today, I want to watch out. Today, I want to take seriously Paul's calling to the Ephesian elders. Watch out. This is real. Especially today, it's real. Paul shed many tears over the period of three years. Why? Because this is about life and death. This is about heaven and hell. This is about eternity. 
Do you know what eternal death is? You remember what, Jesus, what Paul said before he left? He says, if any of you in this group experience eternal death, it's not my fault. For I have not held back in telling you the truth. Do you know what eternal death is? I'm asking you. It's hell. It's hell. Do you believe it's real? You know, a lot of people come to church and they really, if they told you the truth, they don't really believe there is such a thing, such a place, such a judgment. But Paul makes very clear, if any of you suffer eternal death, it's not just death, fade to black unconsciousness, it's eternal death, which means there's this, there's this conscious existence in a darkness that you can't get out of. Eternal death. It can't be called life because it's apart from God. Do you know what brings eternal death into the church? It's the warning. What Paul says that when I leave, they're coming. I'm going to ask you a question. Practically speaking, do you know what brings eternal death into the church? False teachers. Sheep eaters. Wolves. So how do they do it? If he tells me to watch out, to be on guard, to be careful, how do they do it? How do the wolves disguised as sheep end up eating real sheep? You see, I believe that I have a personal God-given assignment to watch over the sheep. I believe that I'm one of the elders of the church. There are five elders in this church, and I will tell you, I know these men, their heart, they feel a personal responsibility to watch over the flock. And so I feel a burden to warn you and to tell you some stuff today that's going to be pretty straight up, but I, but I know the limitations of my ability. Listen, I cannot believe any of this for you. I can't do it. Beyond my ability. I can tell you what I believe. I can show you where I believe it, and I can hold it up all day long and say this is absolute truth, but I can't do anything beyond that. That's why Paul looks at these people and he says what? If any of you experience eternal death, it's not my fault. Because I did not withhold from you life. He held out life. He held out the way of life. But some believed it and some didn't. And when he left, the wolves came. And some hung on and some didn't. And it's the same today. Some of you believe it and some of you, and some of you probably will hang on and some of you probably will not. So I'm going to repeat verse 29 and 30 again. Here we go. I know, Paul knows, that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from our own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. How do they do it? How do the wolves pull it off? They distort the truth. They distort the truth. I told you this was practical and prophetic. What is the truth? You better know the thing that they're going to distort. So what is the truth? If you know the Bible, you know the truth. To distort the truth is to distort the Bible. 
to just because, you know, do I need to do this again? I guess so. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. To distort this is the work of the wolves, the false teachers. And here's why. I want you to understand why I say that. Because if the wolf comes to your house or comes to your family and tries to distort the truth, but you know the truth, the truth is written on your heart because you've studied the truth personally, that wolf's not going to get very far with you, is he? Because you know what you'll be able to say? That's not in there. You're making that up. You're making that up. And what's the wolf going to do? What did Satan do? What did Satan do in the wilderness when Jesus quoted the Holy Scripture? If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are, Jesus quoted the Scripture. It just comes out of his mouth. You're making that up, Satan, and he leaves. But what if you don't know the Scripture? Then the wolf would very have, he'd have very good success at distorting something you don't even know about. You see, the church, not pagan unbelievers, the church is struggling with issues it should not be struggling with. You know, I'm going to tell you, I don't, when I look at the world today, I don't struggle that the world is doing what the world's doing. Why? Because the world has rejected the truth. I don't have any problem with that. I don't like it. Don't get me wrong. I don't like it. I'm going to do whatever I can to shine the light into the darkness that's out there. But I get it. You know, I really do. The world's just doing what the world does. It doesn't have the truth. It doesn't know the truth. It doesn't live under the authority of the truth. But here's my problem. When it's coming into the church, I got a problem. I got a problem. And it's in the church. The wolves and the false teachers have come into the church. He said it was going to happen. I told you it was prophetic and practical. Let me just give you an example. Homosexuality. And, and I know just saying that word makes people nervous. I don't know why it makes people nervous. Does the truth make you nervous? This is not about bashing a certain people group. It's not. I, I, we're called to love that people group with the truth. It's the only way I know how to do it. Homosexuality, sexual immorality in general. So, and, and if you're in the room today, if you know me very well, you know I'm going to call them, I'm going to call them all out. If, if, if you think homosexuality is a felony and the other sexual immorality is a misdemeanor, then the wolf's already got a hold of you. He's already, he's already got you. Because you made that up. You made that up. It's not in here. You made it up. But the truth sets people free. And the wolves come distorting a truth. So let's just look at the things that the modern American church is struggling with. And you tell me if the wolves aren't on the inside. Homosexuality, sexual immorality, gender neutrality. Can somebody tell me, did the church 50, 100 years ago struggle with gender neutrality? Male and femaleness? The wolves are here. And more than likely, there's people sitting in this room today, and you're struggling with this. Why? The wolves have distorted the truth. Because you let the world tell you what the Bible says. You, you didn't study it. You don't have a foundation of it. So when the wolf comes and says, well, that's love wins, and you think, oh, 
Well, I didn't know that. The only problem is they're making that up. It's not in there. But it's not just homosexuality. It's not just sexual sin. There's a whole lot of things that the church seems to be struggling with. Abortion. You know what abortion is? It's child sacrifice. It's child sacrifice. That's what they did at Baal. Baal was the God that they offered their children on the altar to Baal. It is child sacrifice. And you know what? There's people who go to church and say, well, I don't see a problem. They distort the truth. But there's a a broader generic category that I notice happening to grace. I wonder if I went around the room today and I handed out a piece of paper and said, I would like for you to fill out the definition of grace. How many definitions I'd get? Because the world has totally distorted the definition of grace. Do you know what grace is? I'll tell you, it's a wonderful thing. We sing a song, Amazing Grace, because it is amazing. It's a gift of God. What is the truth? Is there a truth, an absolute truth? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there a day in which everybody's going to stand in front of God and give an account for what they have done in the flesh? In John 8, verse 31, Jesus talks about truth. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. You're a real sheep, not a sheep, not a, not a wolf dressed like a sheep. You are truly my disciples, and that means you're, you're truly my followers. If you remain faithful to my teachings. And I'm going to tell you, everybody, you have a copy in your language, in your house. might be in your hand. You're truly my disciples if you hold to my teachings. What if you don't hold to his teachings? Could I assume that you're not his disciple? And then you will know, verse 32, you will know the truth. What? If you hold to his teachings, you'll know the truth. And the truth will do what? It'll set you free. Example. Some of the wolves are telling us to throw out the Old Testament because it's a stumbling block to salvation. I'm not going to name names, but in, in recent months, there's, there's a prominent movement of some group that tells us that Genesis to Malachi is irrelevant in the church age. Throw it away. You don't need it anymore. But then I, I read the words of Jesus, and Jesus says, and heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. And every time Jesus got in a situation, he quoted the Old Testament. And yet somebody now tells me, it's starting to sound like a wolf. He's starting to tell me that you don't need the Old Testament, just focus on the New Testament. Is that the truth? Will that set you free? Throw out the truth? Distort the truth? Is that going to bring us into Christ? You see, some of those wolves, and here's, here's the point that I said I, I, I'm noticing recently. Some of those wolves tell us that grace 
I told you if I passed out a piece of paper, I'd get a lot of definitions. Some of the wolves are now wanting to say that grace is a license to do whatever, whenever, however. That's grace. Isn't it amazing? Whatever, whenever, however. That's grace. That's why it's so amazing. But they made that up. It's not in here. Is that truth? Is, is the, it, grace is the license of God by the blood of Christ to do whatever, whenever, however. Is that what's going to bring us to eternal life? Let me, ask, let me answer the question with the Word of God. Not my opinion. Jude. Jude is the brother of Christ. And he writes about this same topic, about grace. What is grace? And, and about wolves and distorting the truth. And, and he tells us that wolves are coming inside the church and they're going to eat the sheep. So Jude, let me read it to you. Jude 1, I'll read the first four verses. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father who love you and, keep, and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. He keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. And I need to pause. He says, I was wanting to write a letter, just encouragement, but I can't. He says, I, I, I want you to notice it. I wanted, dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we share, but now I can't. I find that I must write about something else. Now I must urge you to defend the faith. Why? It must be under attack. Now I urge you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. Why? Verse 4, listen carefully. I say this because some ungodly people, they're wolves. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Isn't that wonderful? Except you, you made that up. Some wolves have come into the church and redefined God's marvelous grace as if it gives you the ability, the freedom to live an immoral life. The condemnation. Look at the next sentence. The condemnation. What do you think that is? Time out? You, you get time out? You go, my day you had to go stand in the corner. Ooh, I hate standing in the corner, by the way. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. What, what, what is it? Paul says, if any of you experience eternal death, it's not my fault. Jude says, the condemnation of these wolves was recorded long ago, for they denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. When you deny the truth of the Word, you deny the Master who gave the Word. They are the same. Worm their way into the church with what method? What message? Jude makes it clear. What method? What message? The grace of God allows you to do whatever, whenever, however. 
Is that true? Where did that come from? And why in the world is the church struggling with this? Because I'm going to guess that there's people sitting in this room today, you're struggling with it. So I'm going to give you a practical example illustration. This is real, but I'm going to protect the people in the story, okay? There's two people that grew up in this community, grew up together, both raised in a church. One in this church, one in another church. They both graduated high school, went off to college, and went in two different directions. True story. I'm just not going to tell you who they are. After several years, one person who went away to another place, it's at the time in which the LBGT community was celebrating this right to marry, posted on some kind of social media their gladness celebration that finally love wins, that finally uh, LBGT rights are being honored. So that surprised this other person who saw that because they were both raised in the church together. So the local person comes to me and shows me the post and says, should I say anything? Should I respond? Should I write back? And I thought about it and I said, um, I don't think you should argue back and forth, no. And I don't think you should do anything publicly. I think this putting this stuff out publicly is a nightmare. I said, but I think you should say something privately, so here's my suggestion. Read the book of Jude. Just say that. Just to your friend, just say, read the book of Jude. So this person, privately, not publicly, sent a message to that person, read the book of Jude. So some time went by, and the local person comes to me, and I said, did they answer? Did they read the book of Jude? And the person said, yes. And do you know their answer to me? And I said, no, but I'm really curious. And they said, the answer was, I had no idea that Paul was such a hater. Now, there's two problems there. Number one, Paul did not write the book of Jude. Which illustrates exactly my point. When you don't know enough about Scripture to know that the book of Jude is not Paul. And number two, you have rejected the authority of the Word of God. Then distorting the truth is no longer a problem at all. You can make up anything you want. You can call it whatever you want because you have rejected the foundational truth that our society once accepted with absolute authority. I'll give you another example. There's a famous megachurch preacher in Atlanta. No, I'm not going to mention his name. Said recently that the church is not under the Old Testament law, and he was very specific. He referred to the Jerusalem Council that met, and his whole point was that the Jerusalem Council told the Gentiles that basically they're not under any of the Jewish law. And to some degree, 
that's correct. You know, we're not under the law of Moses. What he didn't say, what he failed to say, is that some of the instructions that the Jerusalem Council did give to the Gentile church was to abstain from sexual immorality. That is one of the things that he said you are still bound to. But this preacher in Atlanta totally negates that in his sermon. I, I listened to his sermon. He says, but that really doesn't mean what it says. Now, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm going to say that. My guess is the reason he said that, the position he's taken is that, is so that he can go along with the LBGT agenda in his church and not take a stand. He's starting to look like a wolf. Because what is the wolf? They distort the truth in order to create a following. That's what Paul said is going to happen when I leave. They'll distort the truth to create a following. So where does this teaching come from? People make it up. In fact, most of these churches that have the wolves inside of them entrenched will never say this word. Ready? Repentance. No one will ever say it. In fact, it becomes a, a hate word. In fact, well, I'll just tell you, to say the word repentance or to look at somebody and say, you should repent, it's a hate word. You're a hater. In fact, repentance has been totally eliminated from the vocabulary of the wolves in the church. But the Apostle Paul, when he meets with these Ephesus elders, he said, I have never failed to tell you the necessity of repentance. So who am I going to listen to? What is truth? And how can we be drawn away from the very thing that's keeping us from eternal death? And I'm going to give you a spiritual truth. Here it is. You do what you want to with it. The Bible says there is no forgiveness of sins without repentance. There is no forgiveness of sins without repentance. And, and I want you to get a visual picture. The idea of repentance is simply to turn around. It is to change your direction. The idea that I'm a sinner. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit it. I'm a sinner. But I'm walking away from God. Repentance is to turn around and face God so that he might forgive me. The idea that I can continue to walk away from God... And that's grace? No. Grace is he gave me a chance to turn around. That's grace. He didn't have to give me a moment to turn around. He didn't have to give me a word of truth, open my eyes, my ears, my heart. He didn't have to do any of that, but he did. And he said, turn around. Face me. And when you turn around and face him, it's called repentance. It's not denial, it's not making an excuse, it's not justification. Just admit that without you, I'm lost. Without you, I'm not going to make it. You are the life giver. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, I want to read to you some truth. I'm going to read to you some truth that the church ought not be struggling with. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Is this complicated? 
Those who do wrong, and let's just call it, those who sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. We've got a problem, because guess what? We've all sinned. Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or the worship of idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. You know what? We got a problem. Because that described everybody in this room. Let me prove it to you. Thieves were in there. Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Don't raise your hands. You don't need to. You're a thief. And I am too. And none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Why do you think Jesus came? Because that's us. Look at the next verse. Some of you were once like that. And you stopped denying it. And you accepted the truth. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. Why? Because you turned around. Truth made you turn around. Rather than walking away from God, truth made you turn around and walk toward God. Rather than pretending like He wasn't real, truth made you turn around and look at Him. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. How? The blood of Christ. You were made right with God. That's freedom. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Church, we ought not be struggling with this. These are fundamentals. The wolves are in the church. What's next? What's next? I really wonder. What's next? Adultery is a virtue? What's next? Idolatry is to be praised with a rainbow of its own flavor? What's next? Thieves will be celebrated as those who have been set free from the bondage of work? Let me ask you a big question right now. Big question, everybody in the room. Is there an eternal death? Is there a hell? Paul said none of these. Listen, Paul said none of these people on their own will ever inherit the kingdom of God. None of them. And you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made clean. You were made right with God by turning and confessing Jesus Christ. You were cured of the sin that leads to death. Paul writes the church at Corinth that these sins will keep people out of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to ask you a crazy question. If these sins keep people out of the kingdom of God, where do they go? Where do they go? We were all like that at one time, but the truth called us to repentance. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. Turn around. Face God. Face the light. In the Bible, John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. Peter preached repentance. And yet the average church in America doesn't want to say the word because it makes you a hater in the eyes of the wolves. 
Repent from what? Repent from what? If no one calls sin, sin, what will you need to repent from? But I got, I'm going to tell you the truth. Sin equals death. 100% sin equals death. Jesus tells a story about some fellow Galileans. Jesus was from Galilee. He tells a story about some fellow Galileans who were put to death by Pilate for no apparent reason. It's found in Luke 13, verse 1. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. So here's Jesus says, Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? In other words, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to say, because this terrible murder of Pilate to these guys, was it because their sin was a level 10 and everybody else's sin is a level 3? Is that why they suffered? Here's his answer. Not at all. And you will perish too. So you, you people who think that as long as I don't get around 10 or 8 or 9, if I stay down here in the 5, and you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Who said that? Jesus. The Son of God. The one from heaven. The one who rose from the dead. You'll perish too if you don't repent of your sins. So why wouldn't anybody... Why would you shrink back from saying the word repent? It sounds like it's freedom to me. He gives another example, verse 4. And what about the 18 people who died in the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? When a tower falls on you, surely you must have been a 10, right? Huh? I mean, what's the luck of a tower falling on you? No, Jesus said, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Here's my question. Is Jesus telling the truth? I think he is. So what's Jesus' point? We're all sinners and sin brings death. And unless we repent, we will perish. God sent his only son into the world so that we wouldn't perish. And I got to tell you, I don't want to perish. And I look around the room today. I don't want you to perish. I must warn you to watch out. There's wolves so I tell you to repent, and some wolves come to the church and they tell you that that preacher of yours is a hater. You think I don't hear that? Because recently I've heard that a lot. That preacher of yours is a hater. I heard his sermon. He's a hater. Who's the hater? Is Jesus a hater? Is Paul a hater? Is Jude a hater? John the Baptist, a hater? Because listen, 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 listen. I did not write the book of Acts. I did not write Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I did not write the book of Jude. I read it to you. And I held it up as authority, as if it were God's word. And I'm willing to bet my life on that. Are you willing to bet your life against that? Who's the hater? Now back to Paul and Ephesus elders. Verse 32, and now I entrust you to God. He's getting ready to leave, right? Now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. The message of grace. I entrust you to God and the message of grace. This message is able to build you up 
and this message is able to set you apart, this message will cancel the sin of your life, make you right with God, set you free. This message of grace is this. You ready? God has given you and me an opportunity to turn around and receive his forgiveness. That's grace. He didn't owe you a chance, a moment to turn around. He didn't owe you a set of ears to hear it and a set of eyes to see it and a heart that would believe it. He didn't know that to you, but he gave you a chance to receive it. That's grace. God has given us what I call a wait-a-minute moment. We're living right now in a wait-a-minute moment. Peter says that the Lord has not returned because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's given you a chance to come to repentance. We're in a pause, wait-a-minute moment. And I hear the Apostle Paul says, if any of you experience eternal death, it's not my fault because I told you. And then Paul begins, becomes reflective before he gets on the boat to leave. Verse 33, I have never coveted anyone's silver, gold, or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked hard, have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember and then he does something, just pulls it out. I know it's the Holy Spirit, and he says something. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Hidden inside verse 35 is one of the most amazing scriptures about living an abundant life in Jesus Christ. It's not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. I've shared this verse on every mission trip team that we've taken to Eastern Kentucky. I think the regulars are getting tired of me saying it. And I'm going to say it to you today, and then we'll summarize and wrap up. I want you to visualize behind me there are two doors. They're both wonderful doors. The first door is the door called Blessed. And it is the door that you go through that door when you receive. I like receiving. I don't need to apologize. I like it when I receive. It is blessed to receive. But there is another door. It's called more blessed. It's better than the first door. It's the more blessed door. And you know what it's called? Giving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Why in the middle of this say goodbye to the elders in Ephesus does he bring this up? Because he wants these people to know an abundant life. Not just to be safe from the wolves, that's not it. But to live an abundant life safe from the wolves. It is more blessed to give than to receive Most of you who know me personally know I don't like methods. I really don't like, if you go to the average Christian bookstore, there are thousands of books that tell you how to grow a church and how to do everything in a church, and they all make me nervous. When I think what you're supposed to do is just preach the gospel. Just hold up the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. 
Just preach the word. I want to use the Holy Spirit method. And I want to tell you the best way today to keep the wolves out of your house and out of this church. I want to, co- I want to compare this wolf proofing to a three-legged chair. Have you ever sat in a three-legged chair? I'm going to tell you, you need all three legs for it to work. And I'm going to tell you some practical stuff right now, very quickly. The first leg of the three-legged chair is the Word of God. Read it, study it, know it, live it. Read it, study it, know it, live it, apply it. It will wolf-proof your life. Because when the wolf comes to you and you live it, read it, study it, live it, the wolf makes something up, you can say, you made that up. It's not in there. Number two, pray. Pray when you don't feel like it. I can tell you this. I have no idea how it works. I'm going to be honest. I have no idea how it works. But when you pray, something happens. Something happens. It's like this, this channel opens up. And, and while I'm saying probably nothingness most of the time, he's downloading stuff into me, and he's doing things around me. That's the second leg. So you want to wolf-proof your life? You want to wolf-proof your family? Know the Word. Live the Word. Pray. And here's the third one. You know that other door? The more blessed door? Become intentional to go through the other door. I think that's why it's here. Become intentional to go through the door called more blessed. We were in the office this morning before the first service and several staff people were in there and we were, we were talking. And our children's minister, Scott Young, told me that right now he has 125 volunteers in children's ministry. Now, that may sound like a lot of people to you, but you know how many people ought to be in children's ministry volunteering? Probably about 300. And then nobody would have to work very many. They'd all have time to rotate in and out and in and out and in and out because everybody would pick up their point. And you know what that is? That's walking through that other door. Because there's an abundant life, and the abundant life, there's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I'm going to tell you what, you sign up for children's ministry, you're going through the other door. <laughs> but it's more blessed. And it's just like praying, when I don't even know how it all works, how he does it, he just does it. He just does it. He just more blesses you. So I, I challenge, I, I, once we had that conversation, and, and it wasn't planned, I just think, you know, how many of you in this church are, are actively volunteering to be part of what happens here? And if not, I, why not? Why not? Why, why, why would you? I, I like the blessed door. Uh, go through it often. But there's another door called more blessed. And there's something here you can volunteer for. You can go online. There's a, there's a tab. I want to get connected and go in there and you just check something out. Somebody will contact you. They'll find somewhere to put you. Do something. It's part of the abundant life. Or you can just ignore all three legs of the chair. 
Call me when the wolf comes to eat you and your children. And I'm going to probably say, it's not my fault. Because I told you. I told you. I never held back from telling you the truth about an abundant life. This is a war. People are dying. This past week, people have died and gone into eternal death. So I, this final scene, let me summarize and wrap this up. This is the final scene of Paul and the Ephesus elders. And I want to tell you, it would make a macho man cry. Verse 36, when he had finished speaking, he knelt and he prayed with them. And they all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he said that they would never see him again. And they escorted him to the ship and he left. In my mind, I see a bunch of guys on their knees on the beach weeping and crying out to God. It's a moving scene because I know what happened to Paul after that. They loved this guy. They loved this guy that told them about eternal life through Jesus Christ. They loved this guy that told them how to escape eternal death. They loved this guy that warned them about the wolves and how to wolf-proof their houses. They loved Paul. And do you know why they will never see him again? Paul was going to travel to Jerusalem and he was going to be arrested by a group of people that hated him he will be arrested because of one reason listen listen carefully he will be arrested for one reason jesus christ lives inside of him that's it how is it possible to have one group love him so much and another group hate him so much i'll let jesus answer that question with authority John 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave's not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would have listened to you. They will do all this to you because of me. They will do all this to you because of me. For they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them, no one else could do. They would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my Father. This fulfills what what is written in the Scriptures. They hated me without a cause. Without a cause. What could you have accused Jesus of? What could you possibly accuse him of that would make you hate him? They will hate Jesus' followers without a cause also. They will label you as a hater as they hate you because he's in you. Why would anyone hate people who would tell them the way to escape eternal death? There's only one answer. They don't believe the message that would have set them free. 
Because truth is not a set of rules. Truth is not a set of ideals. They're not rejecting a set of rules. The world's not rejecting a set of ideals. The, tr the world is rejecting a person. Jesus is the truth. So today I tell you the wolves are coming. And I see a time of suffering and hardship ahead for the true church. I told you last week and I'm telling you again. I see a time of suffering and hardship ahead of the true church. All this wolf talk today. Is Paul just being dramatic to make a point? All this wolf talk today. Do you think I'm just being dramatic to make a point? Then you don't know who I am. The wolves are coming and the wolves are here. And we are the sheep under the authority of the great shepherd. I'm going to read one more scripture. And as I read, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe this? Matthew 10. Jesus says, look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers, other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause their parents to be killed. And all nations will hate you. Do you believe this? And all nations will hate you because of one reason. You are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. Thank you very much, Terry, for that encouraging message today. <laughs> I'm looking at your faces, and I just need to say that. Thank you very much, Terry. I leave so encouraged. I'm, I'll have wolf nightmares tonight when I go to bed. Listen, Jesus never told any of us it would be easy. But he said it would be worth it. You know why? The resurrection is on the other side of the cross. And you and I have been asked to carry a cross. It's a time of hardship. But on the other side of the cross, there is the resurrection of the dead. And that's going to be so glorious our minds cannot comprehend it. But it's on the other side of the cross. It's Friday. That's cross day. That's suffering day. But Sunday's coming. So church, I tell you today, hang on. I'll ask Chad to come on out for the invitation. Church, hang on. Hang on. Hang on to the truth. Hang on for the Word. It's not for sale. It's not up for negotiation. Yes, we're in the wilderness, but there's a promised land just ahead of us. He who endures to the end will be saved. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to do what only your Holy Spirit can do. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. You do the work. Father, we lift up your word, your name.
but you must call people to yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The invitation's open. Let's stand.